my parents' friends. All right, we're about ready here, about 10.29. Let's uh, pull ourselves together. Let us pray. Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant to men such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning to all. Online, good morning to Jim and Phyllis, Mimi and Griselda, Katie, Robert, Elizabeth and Constance, three of whom you can't see. You can't see Elizabeth, Constance, and Katie, but trust me, they're there. Like the Holy Spirit and God and <laughs> angels, they're there. Good company. So um, we're going to, to um, do Psalm 1 3 today. Okay. Um, because it's one of those psalms that's kind of associated with Christmas, um, a song of of, um, of really praising God for the, the things He has done, which connects to the incarnation of um, you know, the the Word was made flesh. And the one thing about you know we Christmas is really it's interesting with Christmas in the sense that. Um, uh, Christmas is just really the beginning of the story, and it's interesting most people to think about the reality that um, that only two gospels even tell anything remotely like a Christmas story. That you can you can you can have a whole gospel message without a manger scene. So the the but but the manger scene. Highlights the, the 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 reality that this is the Son of God become man. He's a human being, and there's a reality to it. But it's only the beginning that it, it's sort of the raw material, as it will, that is necessary to live a holy life and to die the death that atones for our sins and rise and all those things. So this is the necessary beginning. But um, it's necessary beginning, and therefore, when the word becomes flesh and sets in motion this reality, it's the indication it's going to happen. And if you think about this in terms of your own, our own lives, um, we're baptized into Christ. We, we believe that God lives within us through the Holy Spirit, and the presence of the word of Christ in us through the Spirit is the assurance that everything God says will happen, will happen. It's as though it is already accomplished because um, because of the word being spoken, it, it, it's, and that's how we hold on to the promises of God because there's Christ in us, and even when we don't fully realize those yet, we taste them through the Spirit and through the blessings of God in this life. So, um, so we can rejoice in the, the rejoicing in the incarnation is the rejoicing in the um, 
beginning and therefore assurance of our salvation that will happen because the word has made flesh and dwelt among us. So this psalm is, is, um, well, let's read through the psalm. I think it's a good way to do it so we read it through and come back. But as we read it through, we can be conscious of a kind of an opening section uh, in verses 1 through 5 where um, it's a sort of personal act of praise. Um, It's a middle section where it gets into the story of of um, Israel and her covenant relationship with God, um, mentioning Moses, that's the highlight there. And then it, um, and that's implication for, for God's people. And then it closes again with praise, where it begins with, uh, bless Lord, oh my soul, it ends up with, a, with a, uh, an exhortation to the angels and, and uh, the hosts to do the same thing. So let's read through it and then make notes about questions and comments, and we'll talk. Uh, we'll go back to the beginning and talk through it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength to do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's interesting, therefore, that the last words of this psalm are exactly the same as the first words. And it's an interesting uh, 
phraseology, one that doesn't happen a lot in the Psalms, where the psalmist speaker is commanding his own soul, his inner self, to bless the Lord. <laughs> um, there, there's a kind of, um, you know, that, that uh, and, and so, And, and and bless is 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 you know some um, we have a we have a version of this psalm in, in a canto where we where the, the the language is said you know praise the Lord O my soul and bless certainly implies praise and all that kind of stuff but it's a uniquely Jewish word that the the word bless it, it's also we, we get some of this in the um, um, the Jewish thought is always to um, bless God for things, whereas we get into the New Testament and more uh, Greek thought, you thank God for things. So you'll see this in, for example, in the Last Supper narratives. Uh, um, some, some emphasize the um, um, when he had, had when he had blessed it or when he'd given thanks, because he would have said, what Jesus would have said is what every first century Jewish person would have said is, blessed art thou, O Lord God, who gives bread to strengthen. So you bless God for the thing, where we would simply say, thank you, Lord, for the food. So so it's just a, it's a, it's a slightly different frame of reference. And so bless the Lord, O my soul. It's, it's a, a uniquely Hebrew way of expressing praise to God. Um, um, So, and and um, so the, the the psalmist is is commanding his own inner being to rejoice, and I guess this is sort of um, you know uh, you know the, the idea that the praise comes from within, from from the heart. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Not just parts of me, not just a, a perfunctory outward. Uh, Say of you know saying thanks or praise in church, but all of me. Um, and bless this verse two is bless Lord O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And it's interesting that in the parallelism there, bless the Lord O my soul and forget not his benefits is it kind of makes parallel the thought of blessing God. And remembering his benefits, we we because when we forget God, we forget that everything we have comes from Him. So the return to to bless or praise is a return to remember. Oh yeah, and and when we drift away, we begin to think, well, this is I, we forget they're His benefits, and we think there's something intrinsic to us. They say, who forgives all your iniquities? who heals all your diseases. Now, this suggests, perhaps, that this psalm is a personal reflection on some experience of healing. Um, it's broadened out. It didn't, it, 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 you know, I, I think in the psalm mode that this would be written, it would be um, made in that general 
uh, sense, but but of of um, complete forgiveness and complete healing, where it may have been I experienced yes this healing in this instance, which means I experienced the reality of forgiveness. Now it is interesting there too that in the parallelism of this verse, um, that iniquities and healing, forgiving iniquities and healing are parallel. Does that come up anywhere yeah. in the New Testament? Yes, your sins have been forgiven when he heals. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. friend coming through the roof. Yeah, yeah. your sins yes. are forgiven. And yes. then it gets big controversy. Boy, yeah. and says, well, if you, um, <laughs> what, what is the connection between forgiveness and healing? They're both disorders of God's good creation, how he created things to be. It, is there a way in which human bodily disorder is a result of sin and separation from God? Yes. Kind of hard. So let's flesh that out. <laughs> what are the, what are some of the nuances of that? If we say that that sickness in general is a result of sin. So just to be clear about what we're talking about, if if Adam and Eve in the garden narrative had never eaten the fruit and just been faithful, we don't know exactly how things have progressed, but we know that they probably wouldn't have gotten sick all the time. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have have um, you know, so so that this so there's a general connection. Right. Is there always a specific connection? Job. Job. Yeah. Where he is, of course, he has an yeah. affliction rather than strictly speaking. Well, yeah, yeah, he just gets spoiled. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there, so there, there's now, uh, and of course, Job is is surfacing for us. Um, The phenomenon that, that the surface is clearly in Jesus, right? That, that not only is he not suffering uh, for his his personal sin, we're actually told that he is actually righteous. So he's there. There's uh, and and so um, do we ever tend to look on someone's misfortune or sickness and say, "Oh yeah, well, but they." Yeah. yeah, yeah. most addictions we tend to go that direction with judgment in terms of, oh, yeah, well, they blah, blah, blah. I think we do it to ourselves as well. We kind of we, we kind of think think those thoughts ourselves as well. So, so um, articulate that a little bit more, Connie. Well, we have a tendency to, if something goes wrong, I, well, I'll speak for myself. If something goes wrong, I really have to battle. Oh, yeah, you, you know, God doesn't care about, you know, <laughs> all those things that get, you know, gets thrown at you. And I have to, you know, in fact, this, this psalm exactly, I was really in a bad place. And I, this just came up spontaneously and I just started reciting the psalm. But I think I see in myself that tendency to think, oh, you know, they're in a good place because God favors them. I'm in a bad place because, you know, so. It's funny how we do that, right? I mean, the human tendency to to like, oh, the bad thing happens. I must have done something wrong. I'll blame myself. But when right. we're all, well, we tend to go, oh, well, 
I must be doing well. Look at look at them. Um, who, who, um, so we can we can we can shift from judgmental attitudes to self judgmental attitudes. We, we we're capable of both of those things, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Which is I also because I often think that a lot of behavior is really um, explained as projection. Mm-hmm. That is to say, when we're really judge, when I find someone who's really judge, you know, well, someone, right. a friend I know, <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's who's really judgmental. Um, you, you, you tend to find someone who's being very hard on themselves, sure. or there's a part of themselves. A lot of times, this is I don't want to get, but psychologically, a lot of times it might be actually a place a part of themselves they're not even willing to face. So, for example, you'll, you'll get historically preachers who rail against certain kinds of sin, and lo and behold, that was going on. Yeah. Uh, in their in their life where, where you didn't see it and and so it's displaced mm-hmm. um, so it's a good way to catch ourselves so, so I, I we started with you know um, do we sometimes see a clear connection we do um, but there's a lot of nuances that goes in that go into um, the connection between sin and sickness or sin and misfortune. Mm-hmm. Um, not the least of which something we, we often miss in the modern Western world is the, you know, the communal nature of this, mm-hmm. that, you know, we will judge someone that we don't realize what they came from family-wise, what they inherited genetically, where they, you know, they... Um, you know, some people get the sort of genetic and fortune lottery, mm-hmm. and some people get, you know, yeah. dice rolls too, you know, in those areas. And um, so that's a that's a um, <clears throat> it's always uh, an exhortation. You know, I. I try to take, you know, think about this, but to, before you judge, well, rather than judge, um, why don't you get, get to know who, who, you know, what's going on, you know, and, and find out a little bit more. Um, there's also, though, another aspect of this, too, and, and, it, and it really, I think, comes into Something unique about the gospel that people tend to miss when they focus on, I'm being blessed or I'm being cursed, therefore God, give me blessings back or, 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 yeah, look, I'm good because of this is, it, it can, it, it, it misses what God is actually doing in the midst of something. So, um, what, what I've seen in ministry is that when people suffer things, they're open to God. And then they tend to be open to faith, and you see God working in ways that perhaps does things in those areas where there's a, a, a struggle. And when people are blessed, there tends to be an isolation from the suffering of the world 
that that makes an isolation from God and the sort of self-sufficiency. This this is a big American issue that we want to trumpet our own. You know, we're this nation that's better than everybody because because we've been good and God's blessed us. Well, you know, I I don't deny that there's you know there, there's some real you know that that there's some we're we're very blessed to inherit the country we live in and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, but you know the, the 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 kid who's born, uh, say, in Bishop Wilson's diocese, he didn't say you know, like, oh, I think I'll, and, and you didn't, you you just are there, and so if you inherited this, it ought to um, accompany, you know, great gratitude, you know, for getting all his benefits. But we tend to to see them as yeah, mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. And and so the things that keep us humble are things that are a source of, of blessing. And this is the, the secret to understand the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Why? It's not because God wants you to be sad. It's that when you experience some sense of challenge or loss, you're all of a sudden open to God who then comforts you. And the word for comfort there is related to the word for Holy Spirit, paraclete, comforter. The, 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 um, so this is what it is. It's not, it's, it's, it's um, as, as uh, uh, St. Paul says, he's chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith. It, it's because the more, and, and this is why in our lives, if we're serious Christians, as opposed to a kind of veneer of faith, You'll, you'll learn, we can learn to um, be grateful for certain, certain afflictions or certain remembrances that God continually gives us. Yes, that remind us, yes, I need you. Mm-hmm. Um, and to realize that unbridled health and prosperity combined with complete ignorance of God is already a kind of hell. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of the problems, honestly, and just culturally between, say, the neighborhood we live in, if you want to go about, you know, uh, some miles in another direction, is, you know, money buys you a lot of painkillers, a lot of insulation. Mm-hmm. You can deny more effectively. And you might not even see any, any, anybody, but when, when you don't have a lot of that, your problems are all just right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I've always appreciated about some of my encounters with with um, families in with less resources. When you go there, you tend the problems all tend to be on the table because they can't hide it. But you go to houses with resources. Oh, it's great. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, we're all dressed up. We're all nice. Everyone's seeing, you know, you know, this this counts or that counts. But you 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 you, you but but the the ideal of the appearance. So. Anyway, so, um, and, and so the other thing, when we forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, that um, the healing of the disease of sin itself, which is separation from God, um, is a, an important form of healing. And it's easy to flatten out the Christian life into a, we have some temporal thing as a challenge and misfortune. We pray for that to, to get better. It gets better. Oh, thank you, God. Now we're back to normal. We can pay no attention to God. Um, 
instead of thinking of life in terms of what is God doing? Here's the thing I'm having. Maybe in as I'm going through this, I'm learning to trust God more. I'm becoming more aware of things around me. So it, we have to learn to articulate in our lives to understand, to see what God is doing within people in the midst of the human afflictions and not just whether we have it or not, which is which is what flattens out the Christian life and ignores the phenomenon of growth in Christ. So, so what you are saying, you're unpacking that who heals all your diseases cannot strictly be be, be interpreted as physical diseases. Well, we, we know we know just scientifically that everybody will die from their last sickness. <laughs> so he doesn't heal every sickness, and even Saint Paul. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing because I'm actually listening to books someone gave me about you know it has a more healing emphasis, and, and there's a paradox to this. You know, people, you know, think these things happen. Bishop Wilson will tell you the things in his own diocese that on the, especially on the frontiers. And yet, you see it in the New Testament where St. Paul's doing all this, but then he prays to have his thorn in the flesh removed, and God says, no, you're good. <laughs> My grace is sufficient. Um, so I, I think if we don't, I think that the heresy always resolves the paradox in one direction. You can resolve, and oh, God just calls us to suffer. There's never any grace. You know, and that's a masochism. And then there's, oh, we're just going to pray and always storm the gates of heaven for everything. And, and well, maybe God's calling, made us more here. And so the balance of believing in the healing, but also accepting our share of the cross, and then understanding how we're healed through the cross, mm-hmm. how our own affliction itself becomes a form of a participation in the cross, which leads to the resurrection. So those those are things that are there that are that are very important for us to just bear in mind uh, in this connection. Um, and um, so we'll go on to. Uh, yeah, I think too. Sometimes you go, you're being punished for a past sin yourself mm-hmm. when you have a disease or have or thinking. Um, I think this is something that's an important nuance, I think, of the spiritual life um, and is a New Testament distinction between punishment and discipline, between chastisement and punitive. So Hebrew says, Lord chastens every son he receives. So you can be completely forgiven and live in communion with God while you're working through the consequences of actions that can be uh, educational for you. Uh, a biblical example of this would be, well, it would be King, uh, a, a permanent example is King David. Yeah, right. yeah. Who, who, So what does Nathan say to him? Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. But, but, so, but we're going to have a little interlude in your life. You're going to go run around for a while. And so, and I think when we embrace the spiritual life um, more deeply, we learn to embrace our, our sufferings and see what God is doing in them and becomes a space of prayer. If God were punishing us, we couldn't talk to him in the midst of that. We would be separate 
Um, so we, we, the idea that we can live in the grace of God while also learning lessons in life. And those are for our good because the salvation is real. It's not pretend. What do I mean by that? It's like if, if God saves you, for instance, he forgives them. But then we had a disordered desire that habitually did this and and therefore led these kinds of results. So now there's forgiveness. The so God's okay, now don't do that. But you do so. So when it happens and you experience it, you learn and your will is shaped by the very exercise of learning in real time that you don't want that anymore because you don't like where it goes. You choose now to do the will of God and inherit the blessings. And your will, your, 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 your very exercise of the will is healed. And you can't truncate discipline. It's, it would be great to think that you could take a, a young child and just, okay, you're just, you're adult now. But they have to go through, you know, if they, if they mature, you know, 20 years of getting the butt kicked. And that's, it's, it's actually a problem, I think, in our world now that the shielding of people from normal hardships doesn't, it doesn't help them. Uh, it, it doesn't, because um, I think back, like one of my big, you know, laments in the early, you know, like how much I was left alone in certain spaces. And I realized later on, like, that's, I had to learn to survive, and that's a really good thing, because I see a lot of kids who were never left alone right. and have trouble tying their shoe. And and every, you know, it's weird, you know, and, and every minor ailment is fatal. It's like, you know, yeah. Father Aiden where I were talking, we were joking about, you know, he's talking to a kid, he says, yeah, I'm depressed. He says, no, you're a little sad. Because <laughs> you're, a little sad. You're, you're not clinically depressed. That's a different... That's a different category, but every, you know, because there's no resilience. And in fact, part of our spiritual growth will be experienced as when things hit us in life, we won't lose our moorings as much. There's a more resilience to it. It's like a tree that's deeply deeply rooted, right? I think actually, hold on to that thought, because I think as we get to the end of the okay. psalm, verse 15, that thought comes back up okay, again. So, so let's, let's move forward here to, um, so who redeems your life from destruction, verse 4, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. These are Old Testament words that um, would, would relate a little bit to grace, the loving kindness of God he bestows quite apart from your deserving. Um, so redeems your life from destruction, from the pit, from, from separation, crowns you with mercy and, and with loving kindness and tender mercies. So if we take this, and it, interesting, again, the tenses here, because this is the psalmist speaking to his own self, <laughs> who redeems your, you know, redeems your life from destruction. You know, yeah, bless Lord, oh my soul. So all this has happened to you speaking to the innermost being of the psalmist. Therefore, um, this is why you should bless the Lord. Because we easily forget, we think it's talking to us, but it's the psalmist talking to himself. And so we're talking to this, we're constructing ourselves, who does these things for us. Um, Verse 5 is uh, a notoriously uh, difficult, um, the first half. Uh, which uh, 
the New King James has, who satisfies your mouth with good things, but the word for mouth means ornaments in the Hebrew, and some, <laughs> some, some, some will go with, but, but, um, you know, but the, the gist of it is that he, you know, he, he satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's, and that may mean the way that, um, eagle's feathers fall off, but they get, they regrow. So it's the idea of your, 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 um, if the image is being sick, you were sick, and now you're being restored and coming back to full vigor. Um, now, that seems to be, okay, there's my personal re reminiscence, Lord, <laughs> I, uh, soul, <laughs> bless the Lord, who's done all these things for you personally. And now we, um, we, we seem to shift into a covenant remembrance. And what's really important here about this is that this is a regular biblical thing, that the personal story is connected to the larger narrative of divine redemption. And that is, that's what we're really in the life of faith always called to narrate our lives our personal stories in light of the narrative of God's larger redemptive story. So um, he'll recall Moses and, and, and the mercies of God to Israel and all that salvation. That's the framework to which he, he is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, because this is happening to me now as part of God's covenant people who live in the story of redemption. During Mass... You know, um, I guess it's after we confess our sins, it's, you say something like, not the sins of, uh, not the individual sins, but the, for the corporate, the, yeah. the whole church. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and so there's a corporate experience that is, that is, that has individual, you know, Stories to it, yeah. but they all participate in the same narrative, and that's how we understand our life. And of course, Israel, the Exodus fulfilled in Christ, the new Exodus from death to life, and our lives participating in that. And all the things we talked about in verse three about the nuances of healing, of course, we understand in Christ that all these things take on a larger meaning because we're not just talking about a temporal yeah. frame. But we're talking about the progress from, you know, baptism, conversion, being made a child of God to resurrection and life in the world to come and how um, all of God's work in our life moves us forward in that. And so we can um, we can, as St. Paul says, I think this is an expansion that the Newism brings out is give thanks in all things. Now, it's important to understand it, it, it is the same as saying give thanks for all things. You know, thanks for punching me in the mouth. <laughs> but, but thanks, um, and, and, and we want to be careful of the simplistic application of that. But we just remember, I think, that the, um, the thought we started with, that since the word who became flesh and dwelt among us has also become flesh in each of us derivatively through the Holy Spirit, that, God, that Emmanuel, Jesus, is always with us. And, and what we're um, grateful for always is that presence, 
because apart from that, the other things would still happen in a disordered world, but we wouldn't experience the redemptive presence of God in them and through them. So we're giving thanks that God is with us through this, and you're not just all um, separate and alone as we face those things. So, verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice. These are typical words that are joined in the Old Testament, um, uh, God's righteous acts and justice, usually understood as God's, um, um, it's really rooted in a Torah, in the way we, we administer justice by Torah principles so that people, and it's, important to understand because justice especially in our time has a, a lot of nuances of meaning that biblically it means to live life according to the Torah or law of God that's what protects um, the vulnerable that's what and all of Israel's the judgment come on Israel were um, because they didn't do what God told them to do and therefore started to worship idols or didn't cancel debts in the Jubilee or didn't or began to take advantage of people who the Torah protected. Now, we're not a theocracy in the sense that we, we have a, 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 the Torah little, but these principles are that's it means actual acts of justice. Um, and th this would be, for example, biblically. Take a story like Ruth. It's not just that Boaz is nice to this foreign woman. It's that Boaz did what the Torah said to do. Redeemed the, the, um, the land of, a, of, of someone. And that's how God makes provision. And, and, and Ruth, when she's cleaning in the field, it, you know, Boaz is extra generous to her. Uh, Probably because he likes her too, but um, <laughs> but the Torah said, "Don't pick up what you when you're harvesting, and you in some drop, leave it there for the poor. You move on because that's that's what the Torah said is leave provision for people. And so justice. I just want to get justice out of um, the generic, uh, you know, and then we call it what we want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, it it the mishpat, uh, uh, which is the Jewish word, is like how we adjudicate it in justly in situations. And for all who are oppressed. Now, the seminal story, therefore, is Israel, oppressed in Egypt, slave under heavy yoke of slavery, and he sets them free. And now that story comes out that God, for all who are oppressed. Now, it, it suggests that God hears the cry like he heard the, the cry of Israel. Um, it also, you know, but it, it took a few hundred years for God to actually, but, but the judgments of God are, and we'll get later on in the psalm, that his throne is set in heaven. Nothing is forgotten. And so, um, and that's, again, when we say he shall come again with glory, to judge the quick and the dead. That's what this means. Every, it's all, it's all gonna be made right that, that maybe that we thought, um, uh, wasn't, um, wasn't right in time. Mm -hmm. 
And the fundamental Christian orientation towards this is um, the enduring of wrong, trusting in God's judgment, rather than taking it into our own hands. And most of the temporal problems we have now is the opposite, that I've been harmed, and I will, in my own way, because the only justice I know is in time, I will then seek, I will repay in kind the thing, which is the, the nature of feudal society. And this is why Jesus says, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's, it's why we're called to forgive, not because significant wrongs are going to be overlooked by God, but because if we try to avenge them in our own terms, we're going to become liable to judgment, just like the whole world. We want to stay in that posture of, of blamelessness, the New Testament calls us, so that when the great judgments are revealed, God will say, you're in the right, and not, will not, not fall into judgment with the world. So it's not, it's not the idea that, that um, which I think is sometimes mistakenly applied to Christian faith, that forgiving means, oh, well, that's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. And also in the, in the framework, to, to, to personally forgive does not mean that the government or the powers that be should not execute right justice for this. That's, St. Paul says as much in the epistle. We won't get this year because it's only three Sundays after Epiphany and it's for the fourth Sunday, but in Romans where he talks about obey the governments because they are God's minister, the avenger to execute wrath. On those who do wrong. Now, the government doesn't always do that well, that's my reason, but then, then the governments get judged. So the point is, so, so the point is justice uh, is, is stored up. Um, it takes faith to believe that sometimes, but that's what called half. I, I, was, I was looking at, I was meditating on um, Jesus' betrayal and going before the Sanhedrin and all that stuff. But I was noticing how, you know, Jesus wouldn't speak it sometimes. He's like, you're not going to believe me if I do say this, or if you say I'm the Christ, whatever. But when Judas came, he still said to him, dost thou betray me with a kiss? Or, you know, you're betraying me with a kiss. It's like, I mean, Jesus has knows how to do that perfectly. But he calls something out, says what's going on, but he's not trying to get vengeance. But it's like, in the commentary I was reading that's over there, but from the 1100s, the bell said Theophilus, he was saying, he's still giving Judas a chance to repent. He's, I don't know. It's like learning how to... Well, no, that, I think, I think that's, I think that's right. The, the, not the trying G to defend yourself. That Jesus does not defend himself. Yeah. But this is hand in hand uh, with the reality that, as he says to the Sanhedrin when under his trial, you will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud. Right. And my... Strong assertion is that is happens in AD 70 when the Romans come and destroy the city. Okay. That the judgment came, but there was this. There's an opportunity to repent. There's Jesus calling them to. Then there, well, there was Jesus dying. Then there's the the church, which is the risen body of Christ, bearing witness now in Jerusalem. And Stephen, then being rejected and stoned. Then. Uh, a very important story for this is later on, St. James of Jerusalem, who's 
one by tradition called the brother of our Lord, who was pushed off the pinnacle and clubbed to death uh, about somewhere at eighty fifty. Um, and so eventually judgment comes. But so so we don't um, for us it's not the idea of the judgment just oh everything will get you know it just until Jesus comes. The judgment of histories are invariably end up being moral. You look back, oh yeah, that wasn't. But in the time, so so that is why we want to avoid getting caught up in the vengefulness, the reactive vengefulness of the moment. This is both a global thing, but also in personal lives. I'm so angry. Watch out. And and that's in a lot of the Psalms, you notice that the Psalms have this um, pleading the case to God and saying, then God, you, you know, do this to them. <laughs> um, and that's part of the dis- disappointment of the religious leaders in the first century is they thought that it meant God would do that to them, the Gentiles. I didn't realize that they were, this is this narrative transference occurs in the New Testament where the judgment was supposed to come upon the nations because God was going to vindicate his people came upon his, the, the, the nation which rejected and the nation becomes epitomized in Christ. And that happens to be the rulers. So. All right. So verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, um, his acts to the children of Israel, which is interesting parallelism again because he is made known by what he does. It's not a Gnostic knowledge. It's, it's, we know God because this is what he did. He parted the Red Sea. He, he, you know, and, and even the story we're talking about, what we story of Ruth, this is what God does. He's known by his acts. And then again, back to the beginning set stanza we, we, we did where, so the, the psalmist's own personal story is connected to this. He's known, he made his ways known to Israel as he's now made his ways known to me, through his acts towards me. In verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. This is a quote from Exodus 34, 6. The Lord is uh, slow to anger and and, and, and shows great mercy. It, it leaves out, however, um, but he visits the sins of the fathers on the third and fourth generation. So this is only the, um, that is, that's also itself an interesting um, verse to, to, um, to, 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 to just sort of uh, ask a question about. Um, This Exodus um, chapter 34, verse 6. I'll read it. So turn there if you don't want to. Um, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. <laughs> He's forgiving. This kind of interesting um, 
what what seems to be the gist here and in that verse is that if we live in a covenant relationship with God of faith, you know, the, the sort of incidental sins and things we stumble into get forgiven. But the wholesale rebellion, turning away from the worship of God into the worship of idols or or willful disobedience um, then falls out of the um, realm of mercy and love and kindness into the realm of now now there's justice. So it does seem to be a connect a, 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 um, a contrast between covenant faithfulness of a people to God and God to a people, and then a, a, a covenant unfaithfulness of the people that then results in God visiting. And the mercy is, yeah, we, 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 as we all know, we come to our prayer, to the altar, having, and God, as we live in that faithful, as we live in relationship with him in prayer, mercy follows us. If we say, well, heck with you, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and go do that, you know, eventually it's going to come upon us. So there's a distinction between incidental sins and sins that we call sins of weakness, from which we, and then willful disobedience, uh, which which doesn't seem to have the same um, pronouncement of mercy. So verse nine, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. If we experience, I think this gets a little bit in, you know, the uh, more fully understood in terms of the new covenant and chastising. But God, if we experience something, God will, he will not forever be displeased and his mercy will come. And verse 10 says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. And again, this is because of the covenant relationship. And that's why um, <clears throat> when uh, what I think about, we think about like, is this thing that I'm suffering a result of something I've done? Um, I always think there's a whole lot of things I've done for which I didn't really get all that all that might have come. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's, it's um, there's a lot of mercy in any event. And, and, um, in trusting God that what we're going through, I think this is part of trusting in, in Jesus as Lord, is trusting that what we're going through is what he calls us to go through and calls us to learn lessons we're called to learn in this place, as opposed to the idea that, well, if I did this, this would be there, this would, or living in regret, right. or um, because there's no other world than the one we live in, in which we are, and that's the world that, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Versus Exodus, the the guilty will not be will not go unpunished. Yeah, and, and we see that in the Exodus, where it's it's uh, we even see the stories there with like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, yeah. who re, who openly rebel against right. Moses and God. And, and get swallowed up, and their whole <laughs> children. Uh, of course, we, we we came across a psalm with Korah's sons in it, so there might be yeah. some mercy there, even. But, but yeah, that's what it's talking okay. about. Yeah. Okay. It it means something to stay connected to the to the to the church and the Christian community. 
to live in that covenant relationship where we enjoy both the connection to God and the connection to God through others who who minister and we get cut off. Sometimes being cut off is in and of itself the you know the you know the isolation like C. S. Lewis and the Great Divorce, the the gray everyone has their own house. <laughs> Big house. And no one else is in it. Then he says, a couple, an image of God's mercy, he says in verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And it's interesting here, the um, the distance between God and man is the extent of his mercy, which is turns it around like God's everywhere. We're just a little thing. That's the extent of his mercy. And then as far as the east is from the west, so far as removed our transgressions from us. So in the earth is how far the sins have been put away. Um, apropos of what Connie raised earlier, that's hard to take to heart sometimes. We have to remember our sins are forgiven. That's why I have to continue. That's why I think we come back to re-experience it. Because we, we, we know it. They are. It's a fact. But our own personal experiences get caught up in, and we have to renew, we have to remember. And to remember is not just, oh, yeah, I, I realized there was this judicial transaction. To remember is to experience again God's presence with me as I am. And then, and then we realize, yes, my sins are, I'm not being, I'm not being punished for them. Experience the reality of God's presence with me just as I am. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Um, the word here for frame or uh, um, is the word used in Genesis 821 when, when God says, um, I will not, uh, uh, what's it say in Genesis 821, I'll that for you. After the flood of Noah, um, he says, um, and the, after, the, after the flood, Noah built an altar, offered a sacrifice. Verse 21 says, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's the same word here. So it's in the hearkening there. He knows our imaginations, our devices, um, and nor will ever destroy every living thing as I have done. And this is the mercy of God that, that exists and covers our weaknesses. Like, like with no, he won't do it again, even though, you know, so, so he's a father, he pities us because he knows we're. So, what does he mean by pity there? To get mercy, you know, not, 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 um, sees, it's like, understands the weakness and therefore takes account and gives us grace to not recompense exactly all that is would come our way. It remembers who we are, but dust, which gets back also to Genesis in the beginning. And this is kind of what, what Cheryl's talking about. For the, for, the, for the wind path, for the days of, 
of as for man, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, his place remembers it no more. And that's like, it reminds that second psalm where it was like, um, as for the godly, the, they're like the chaff which the wind blows away, but, but the rights are like a tree planted by the riverside. So the, the, the ephemeral nature of man grows, he dies. Um, but how does he stand? It's, it's in verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And notice that verse, the visiting of sins on children's children. <laughs> now his mercy yeah. uh, follows uh, those um, to such as keep his, his covenant. And and just remember his commandments to do them. Um, so that's that, that's the. So then we're rooted yeah. in the mercy of God, um, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> therefore the judgment that 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 reveals the 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 temporary nature and blows away things that are deeply rooted. Uh, we can stand um, because we're we're planted in. There's a lot of metaphors in the new. In the Bible, mm-hmm. planted in the house of God, you know, we're, we're rooted in Christ. These are things that, um, as opposed to all the temporary things that, that in the full light of day will be shown to be to vanish. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. And this highlights in heaven the idea of the eternal nature of justice. It's not things happening on earth that are changing. But God's throne is there. He's not forgotten. He's he's God from everlasting. And his time horizon is long. Um, He doesn't forget. And that's what we're trusting in. We're trusting in. In his justice, is God who is um, established throne uh, versus our own attempts at justice, which are inadequate. It, it's interesting we mentioned this too that when you get to the Re- Book of Revelation, God is praised for three things um, in the Bible. He's praised. Well, a lot of things, but three categories for creation, redemption, and judgment. And we get to to Revelation, uh, true and just are your judgments. They've been revealed. We waited for them, like those who are are under the altar, the souls under the altar. How long, O Lord, holy and true, uh, till you avenge? And then he does in true and just. These are the judgments are, are right. We're waiting for those. Um, and this is the idea of justification by faith is the idea that through the gift of the spirit, we already experience the positive verdict of God on our lives. We come to our prayer, we're embraced, come to the altar of God, the body of the blood given for us. May we stand, uh, we're before his eternal throne. We are now justified. So when he judges the world, Will be will be saved from it, 
and then it returns back to the to the uh, refrain of praise. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, are you his hosts or his armies, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Um, and it strikes me here that there's this brings into play the whole heavenly apparatus that that operates by God's word that does what God says that's there's the kingdom of God is that realm in which God's word is um, rules so you so pr- you can bless the messengers who do his word <clears throat> and experience the goodness of God in doing his word our own obedience to that word brings us into that realm of blessing where angels are fighting for us and angels are messengers to us. They're, 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 they're doing battle for us um, versus the realm where the disobedient angels who are waiting judgment because they've come outside as so people who do not obey the word of God, who are not within his covenant faithfulness, or in that realm. That's the idea. And when it says, bless the Lord, all you as hosts, his armies, you ministers of his who do his pleasure, those are heavenly ministers. Those aren't like people in church. <laughs> bless the Lord, all his works, and all places, his dominion. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Pretty well covers it. So we went from personal praise mm-hmm. to connect for, for a personal benefit, connecting that to God's overall covenant faithfulness of which we depend to the praise of heaven and back just to you know, our own personal praise. Which certainly, as we say, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, um, we say that in the dam in the morning, Mary in prayer too, but of course, you know. Anything else on that? All right. Let's pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Good with you online. Thank you. And Katie, we're hiding. Come make make an appearance. Say hi. See you, Elizabeth. Peace. Selda, Mimi, Jim, Phyllis, good to see you. Oh, Carol, bye. A small brush. Oh, I have a taste. Sure.